Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from both academia and industry about their work, thoughts, spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. Hello, hello, and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. Could you please introduce yourself? Um, hi, I'm Pasindu Samarakwadi, and I work as a technology entrepreneur at Twinery. Um, I have a background in aerospace engineering and material science. I've worked at Twinery for the past five and a half years. Um, previous to that, I've worked at um, in aerospace and in the construction industries. Mm-hmm. And I'm Sarah Dole and have a background in physics and math and have worked in the semiconductor industry in mm-hmm. the United States and Singapore prior to joining Twinery. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually moved back to come back to Sri Lanka and have worked at Twinery for the past four years as a technology entrepreneur and I'm also heading the intellectual property and analytics team. What is Twinery Innovation by MS? Um, so Twinery is actually the source of innovation for MAS Holdings. It's at, uh, so MAS Holdings is actually the largest apparel and textile manufacturer in South Asia and home to over 50 disruptive technologies. Uh, we have over 30 years experience in manufacturing for some of the world's largest brands in lingerie, active wear and swimwear. And we have unparalleled knowledge of the human body and biomechanics as well as understanding fabric wearability and material science. Uh, here at the Twinery, we develop scientific and engineering solutions that transform the human textile in space, put groundbreaking, life-improving technologies right next to your skin. We think our solutions transform businesses, enhance lives, and reshape expectations. Mm-hmm. Our winning walls actually star for Twinery MS. Yeah, so that's actually a great question. Um, we were actually disrupted uh, once by a competitor. Um, uh, this is our large business, uh, co-business, which was focused on remaining at the forefront of delivering the best to our apparel customers. So we needed a place that can think without restrictions or boundaries and uh, trying to figure out where to throw the ball five years or ten years into the future um, and think about disruptive business models and technologies um, and being ahead of the curve. So uh, we actually had our start in 2007. We started as um, MAS Research and Innovation. And then we had this mandate of future-proofing MAS. Um, and so, uh, you know, we had MAS Innovation uh, come up as in 2013. Mm-hmm. Great. So why are you passionate about what you're doing and why work in this industry? Um, so for me as an engineer, being able to do and build things that could potentially change the way people do things or perform everyday tasks or even more enticingly enable people to do things they couldn't previously do is something that brings satisfaction. Mm-hmm. So I think it's accurate to say that the kind of work that Twinery uh, does is directly aligned with that thinking which makes it an ideal fit for someone like me. Also, the apparel and soft goods industry already has access to people's bodies through their conventional products and, and, and to uh, people's skin, if you will, which is which in one way makes it easier for innovators such as myself um, in, in industries like ours to push next to skin text to the masses very easily. Mm-hmm. I think that, that would be uh, one reason I'm passionate about 
what I'm doing here. Great. And for Sara, you have would like to add something in that? Sure. Um, so I'm very much driven by purpose and making an impact in the communities we live in. Uh, having the ability to comprehend and unlock science and technologies um, and be at the intersection of dis uh, different disciplines coming together and exploring the unknown uh, to create exponential benefits to the communities we are part of is something that makes me wake up every day. Mm -hmm. uh, being in the apparel and textile space, as passing the said, gives us access to the real estate of people. Uh, this puts us in an amazing position to shape and impact the communities we are a part of. So based on consumer needs, we can innovate next to skin products and uh, technologies that can allow the human to live a better, more independent life and um, enhance performance or build products that are sustainable for the planet. Uh, not to mention the people that we work with. Uh, they all hail from a variety of different disciplines, such as engineering, marketing, finance. We also have a DJ in the house. Uh, this provides us constant uh, challenge and fuels us to think outside of the box to innovate impactfully. Mm -hmm. So I would like to ask you whether Twanya is working in robotics in general because you have many interesting projects uh, are running now. So are you working in robotics in general? Um, yes, we do. We uh, have a dedicated uh, engineering and business unit working with robots and uh, related software to best implement in our everyday manufacturing processes. Uh, we see tremendous potential for use of robots because some of the operations mm -hmm. are repetitive um, and not straightforward, um, which, which adds quite a bit of complexity into um, the use of robots in those processes. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, uh, the material that we deal with being, being fabric, it's um, soft and it's pliable, so it, it's very difficult to for a robot to manipulate. Um, and it, it's stretchy at the same time, so it's not like how you would envision robots being used in a in a traditional um, industrial sense, for example, like in the automobile industry where you'd uh, see robots manipulating sheet metal around. That's quite a relatively a simpler task to do um, than uh, a robot working with fabric. Um, so that's one of the big challenges that we're trying to solve at the mm -hmm. moment is um, developing robots that can help us um, automate with uh, while they use um, fabrics. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, in short, we do uh, use robotic uh, robots at uh, Twinery. So this is really challenging. So I would like to ask you first, what are misconceptions about smart textile technology? Misconceptions. Sure. So there are actually many misconceptions of uh, smart textile technology around many different uh, stakeholders. One of the biggest ones is uh, that smart material tech is bulky and is alien to wear. But we think that with the current developments and integration unlock coming online, um, you know, these technologies are becoming more flexible and drapeable and achieving form factors that are thin and drapeable. So it really fits into a wearable form factor. Mm -hmm. um, there's also the notion that every single smart textile technology requires batteries, right? But mm -hmm. there's smart materials that could be that don't actually need a battery pack. Um, they can uh, react to stimuli such as light and heat. Um, and there's also a notion that it's not safe on the body because there's chemicals and things like that. 
um, and it's not compatible to skin. But there are uh, encapsulation techniques that uh, uh, can make sure that we mitigate such issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, with a lot of industry players, uh, smart textile technology or smart materials that are used uh, are believed to be in a lower technology readiness level. But we think that there are some technologies that are at a higher tech readiness level that can be incorporated into applications. Um, and I mean, you see uh, examples of that. For example, um, MIT's Self Assembly Lab is working on ex- active textiles that can be knitted into a garment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, the other notion is a single tech can achieve multiple functionalities. Uh, so, like, you know, going from actuating to sensing. Um, but to being a battery. Um, but we think with where technologies are right now, it's probably a combination of different technologies that come together to achieve the performance specs that you require. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So since you're working in really challenging area about smart style and there's a lot of challenges and uncertainties, so when you're working in that, what is the most important question should be considered when you're developing a smart government industry? Um, if you look into the academia or industry, what kind of questions that haven't been answered yet and you are considering at Winery? Sure. Um, so, for smart garment could mean any type of variable. For the purpose of this discussion, though, we will be looking at unlocks to make actuating garments a reality. For this, uh, we are discussing emerging technologies um, such as you know, electroactive polymers, twisted string yarn actuators. Um, so for me, there are a few key issues that we're looking at solving. One is around performance. Mm-hmm. So achieving macro level performance of force, pressure, dimensional change, and frequency um, is a huge unlock. Um, currently, we are at the very low spectrum. So in terms of forces, we're achieving millinewtons of forces, etc. where if whereby when we need uh, it for a wearable, we need it in, uh, you know, higher performance spec ranges. Um, So in a wearable context, displacement alone is not sufficient as we need to be able to hold a force also. Um, So, for example, if we were to uh, develop an active compression stock, uh, it should, uh, you know, apply the levels of force required so that you can actually feel uh, the compression that's transferred. Um, And then stability is also a huge uh, uh, challenge that we're seeing. Right now, um, to provide the necessary performance with the material stability and cyclability, uh, because as you know, you know, you go through, like uh, when you wear a piece of clothing, it undergoes a lot of different um, forces. So, uh, for example, um, when you uh, put it in a washing machine, right, it will undergo, you know, G forces when you put it in like the washer and dryer cycle and things like that. So, for us, material stability is important and to be able to take on that everyday wear and tear. Mm-hmm. Uh, which brings me to the next topic of washability. Um, in our domain, we really want to enable normalcy. 
Um, so having technologies integrated into a textile means that it should also withstand the day-to-day -day abuse that a textile goes through, which I was referring to earlier, such as washing, folding, and having to sit under a huge pile of laundry um, of clothes. So if we integrate a smart material and if it can be subjected to these external forces and harsh environments, it would also support in adoption, we feel. Um, efficiency is also another big um, uh, unlock. Uh, right now, I think we're in the low percentages, uh, you know, like uh, nitinol and things like that are at the 5 to 10% ranges of efficiency, but we need to be at a level where it could be at like a, 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 a pneumatic, for example, mm -hmm. uh, efficiency range. And also, uh, the most important thing, I think, and uh, is about being closed loop. We want to ensure that we're making environmentally sustainable products. So for us, the dream would be to be able to recycle and reuse these smart textiles and keeping it as much of a closed loop system as uh, it can be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's very, very interesting. So let me ask you, when you expect this time, time frame like uh, it took like three years to develop this technology that really making all the interesting point highlighted. How we would expect this would be ready to the to be a product. So emerging technologies, we it is uh, uh, still in the future. We believe uh, so. Emerging technologies like EAPs and things like that could possibly take three to five years to come into being uh, actually integrated into a product that we can launch into the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you have many open challenges in the company. Could you please tell us about open challenges you have? Um, sure. So we've actually got uh, several challenges um, at the moment, be it from materials, from a materials point of view, or something process related, such as the challenge around using robots with the fabric that I mentioned earlier, or even um, HR-related problems, really. So. Uh, sustainability is a big one uh, that we're looking at um, solving uh, the challenges of. So if anyone is interested in, in finding out more, please visit our website, findery.co. There's a link to most of our challenges that are on there. And if, if anyone feels like there's a solution they could offer, we'd love to hear from you. If there is an example about that, you have like um, students or researchers or people from industry. If there's an example of people interacting with these open challenges, if you oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, so um, like I said, we've got a link to our open challenges on our website and what we've had in the what we've seen in the past is that um, there are researchers and academics mostly who who would submit uh, solutions to some of those challenges. We've also had um, certain other industry partners um, submitting some of their proposals that we then um, we kind of vet, we will validate and see how, how the if it's a technology related solution, we'll see how the technology um, pans out and whether it's a fit for what we're trying to do with it. And uh, if, if so, then we kind of move on towards a, a um, negotiation type of phase, if you will, where we would try to um, acquire the technology in a sense mm -hmm. uh, and work out a win-win for both sides so that we can, uh, we can solve our problems whilst um, the solution provider gets uh, a fair share of um, mm -hmm. the benefits of providing that solution. Okay, great. 
So let me ask you about the process the company follows to upgrading the smart garment technology. Could you please tell us more about this uh, the, yes. the process of developing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we've got several teams working within Twinery, comprising of uh, business to finance to technology entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Who their basic job is to continuously scope the markets for unmet needs and conduct due diligences. Um, once these needs are identified, they are, they're quantified, and if worth going after, uh, we try to match our technologies towards solving the problems um, that that were quantified or, or the needs that were quantified. Um, and at the same time, we've got uh, teams such as the Open Innovation Hub team. Uh, that continuously scopes for new technologies which we can bring in. Um, So this team primarily focuses on on relatively higher TRL technologies that are almost ready to go, uh, which we can incorporate into the kind of product that we do and and push push out to the market. Um, Anytime we come across a relatively lower TRL technology, we we have our Discovery Labs team um, that focuses on improving those technologies and bringing them from around a TRL four to about a seven, mm-hmm. uh, which, which we can then incorporate into our product and, and again push to market. At mm-hmm. the same time, we've also got um, teams that do technology and patent landscaping. Um, these teams continuously keep themselves up to date with the current state of the art with regard to different technologies and then performing different um, different tasks, if you will. Um, and at the same time, we also tap into our commercialization and marketing teams mm-hmm. to understand the trends and understand the parts of what's, what's happening in, in different markets. And it's through all of these mechanisms that, yeah. that um, we upgrade our technology. Mm-hmm. So that's why I like a different market. And I would like to ask you, maybe someone ask, why it's important to develop new smart government? Do you think there's enough room for for it in industrial sector since we're developing a really new technology to to customers? So why is it important if you have different, to targeting different marketing? Um, so right now, what we're seeing is lots of white space, especially if you look at it from a patent and an intellectual property point of view. Yeah. There's a lot of white space around the smart garment sector. Um, that, that just, that's just one sign that there's a lot of space to play there and that there are potentially a lot of needs that haven't been yet catered for. Um, whether you look at, again, the, the intellectual property or, or products that are commercially available, it's, it's abundantly clear that there is a lot of room to play. Mm-hmm. Um, when we have our business teams looking at consumer needs, again, it's the same kind of uh, story. There are a lot of needs that people currently aren't able to fulfill um, simply because their current current garments or whatever they're using currently to solve these needs aren't, aren't doing it to the uh, fullest that they require them to. Mm-hmm. Um, so one example is if you're talking about enhancing um, circulation in the, in the medical field to reduce, say, post-surgery recovery times, or in uh, virtual reality and in, game, in the gaming industries, um, there's a lot of unmet needs and a lot of white space that we see that uh, smart garments we mm-hmm. feel are going to really change and, uh, and fill a gap in. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So. 
Let me ask you how how re- really end customers or lay people see Twine or MS, whether in South Asia or different demographic regions. So how people perceive the technology? Do you have any like uh, communication with them or feedback? How they perceive the technology? Are they interesting or just still don't understand it? Sure. Um, so we'd like to uh, have our end customers see us as creating the future of sustainable fashion and apparel technologies. Uh, and we invite material specialists, uh, wearable technology solutions, or any innovative providers to join us as we're always seeking for partners to co-create with us. Mm-hmm. So for the lay people, if we speak about such, uh, even people who are not involved in the technology, do you think that they are, they are interested in having like a smart government whether they can help them for certain uh, problems or any, any solution? So they are keen about it or just still don't understand about the smart technology? The public or lay people? Um, so our innovation strategy has always been to bring uh, to market bold new ideas in fashion, lifestyle, and technology by connecting our entrepreneurs with innovative partners around the world to provide the best in uh, performance, um, function, style, and fun. So all of this is led by consumer-centric innovation. Okay. So we are actually doing research to understand um, whether there's a need and whether these technologies will be adopted uh, by uh, you know, people who are actually going to be the end consumers of them. Um, and if there is no need, um, you know, we won't be pushing these technologies. Um, so if a product or a technology does not benefit or solve a problem for a person, we won't be developing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything that we are developing in-house, um, there is a need and, uh, you know, we are trying to uh, solve for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Specific regions, which regions and around the world are interested in developing technology or, par- or cooperating with you, whether in customer level or cooperation level from academia or industry? Um, so, if we're talking demographics, I would, if we're talking geographical regions, I would say all over the world, really, we've got um, partnerships from universities at, at uh, in, in Europe to the US to mm-hmm. East Asia. Um, Australia, uh, we've got uh, academics collaborating with us, we've got um, other industry players who are co-developing with us, um, so we've actually got quite a wide uh, variety of uh, solution providers or potential solution providers in that respect. If we are talking about uh, end consumers that we want to cater for, again it, it spans right across all the all the regions really, um, and age groups. Um, we are also looking at it from an occupation's point of view mm-hmm. as well. And what we found is uh, where smart materials and smart garments are concerned, uh, we are able to cater, or there is a need, right across almost all the demographics. Um, we are at the moment, however, focusing on certain technologies that we may want to push into certain sectors right now, one being uh, one who wears, who has any contact with the textile would be our, our potential um, end consumer. Yeah. So let me ask you how would Winery MS envision intelligence uh, in the product they develop? So at present, uh, where smart gums 
uh, concerned, we are focusing on providing actuation using smart material technologies mm-hmm. or smart structures. So we're not we're not limiting ourselves to just what uh, classifies as a smart material. Instead, even something that is an incumbent technology that is um, capable of being miniaturized so as to not lose the the qualities that one would expect from a textile or a fabric um, are ones that we would consider. At the moment, our scope is to power things electrically through batteries. Um, however, that that may um, that is likely to change as technology advances. Um, but our goal is to have our goal is to have something that is uh, a closed loop system, so it could react, it could send and react um, without requiring any human intervention. Um, but as far as the level of intelligence is concerned at the mm-hmm. moment, things that we are developing are things that will require the user to do something mm-hmm. uh, and prompt the the technology to do something uh, for them. Yeah. So, what do you think? Which level the developed smart garment are intelligent now, whether in academia or industry? Since this is very tricky, you're trying to get rid of. The like pneumatic and etc. Something like very very huge be implemented in government. So how you would see the intelligence uh, in, in the developed current smart government? Do you think it is intelligent or still weigh a lot to go like a reproducible result or washability as Sarah highlighted? So what do you think about these issues? Um. I mean, first, our vision is to have intelligent garments that look and feel like a normal piece of clothing in your wardrobe. Um, so depending on the functionality that you need, the garment should be able to provide that for you. So for example, if a person is suffering from a venous disorder um, in the medical space and has difficulty in putting on, like say, their compression socks, he or she should be able to get a pair of their favorite socks and it should auto-adjust without having to input their pressure levels. That for us would be the ultimate goal. Um, and right now we feel like, um, you know, where smart materials, smart technologies are, it's still in the inception, it's still early days. And there is a lot of work that needs to be done. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of people that need to collaborate uh, and uh, share knowledge to actually uh, push the boundaries of these technologies so that they, we can achieve the levels of performance that we require from an application point of view. Um, and, you know, we're hoping to collaborate with these kind of uh, intellectuals, academia, um, or innovators around to actually bring uh, this, to make this a reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you think simulation would be helpful in designing smart government since you have like to understand how it's going on inside this fabric, uh, whether we're using different uh, actuation methods like highlighted electroactive polymer. Do you think simulation would be helpful in that case? Yeah, that, that's a great question actually. Um, simulation could actually play an enabling role in our opinion, especially where we're thinking about designing and developing smart garments mm-hmm. uh, from from knitting in smart yarn straight onto the fabric to understanding how the, the garment will look and feel once constructed. Um, another area that simulation would play a very crucial role would be in understanding failure modes. Um, when we're talking smart garments, we're talking about integrating uh, perhaps wires, 
perhaps um, different technologies through through yarns um, and and all those previous um, abuse kind of situations that we mentioned that a garment goes through these garments will also be subject to so we're trying to um, understand failure modes and things like that which simulation would really help us Mm-hmm. Uh, to do and cut down on our real, on our physical iterations and physical testing drastically. So I think that's where simulation could play a, play a big role for us um, when it comes to the smart guns. Mm-hmm. But if one asks you, like simulation to reality, sometimes it's challenging since textile is very nonlinear, and I don't know what you could comment about that. If something interested in this area. It just is it challenging or it's like you can get a satisfaction with the result if you have simulation for detecting simulus failure behavior, for instance. Yeah, um, it is challenging, all right, because uh, simulation basically um, relies on a, a whole lot of data that was previously obtained through actual physical testing and physical data. So we are finding that. Um, in in what we are trying to work on, there is very little data like that. Um, so that's why I said at the end of the day, we will have, though it helps us cut down on iterations at the end of the day, we will have to do some kind of physical testing to say pass a certain design or pass a certain method of integration. Mm-hmm. And um, that the test results from that physical testing would then again be fed into the, into the simulation and uh, through that the simulation software also gets better and it gets closer towards the real world thing. But you're right, it is it is quite challenging at the moment. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, what are the current challenges that Twiner we would like to solve currently? Be the challenges you have. Uh, sorry, Marva. Um, just to add to that uh, point yes, sure, that yeah. was mentioning before, um, I think this is also a great place where collaboration between engineers who are looking at simulation and other modeling techniques work with textile engineers um, and people who really understand uh, apparel um, uh, to come together to uh, look at new ways of modeling. And I think that's also where you know we can connect in um, with uh, uh, simulations and modeling uh, expertise. Exactly. Yeah, I second this idea. So I I would like to continue about that. What what are current challenges do you think that Twiner want to solve? Um, sure. So uh, I'm talking in the context of actuating garments. Mm-hmm. We're actually looking at developing a toolbox of capabilities. Um, that comprise of emerging and established technologies. We're looking at it from a two-pronged approach of like having emerging technologies um, and using established technologies because of speed to market. Um, and uh, for emerging technologies, our current challenges are centered around achieving the macro level performance specs that I spoke about earlier. Um, and. Um, achieving those technology specs of performance, frequency, pre- uh, pressure, uh, dimensional change in a stable manner. And uh, you know, doing it um, in an efficient manner for the application r- ranges that we're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and also having that level of normalcy. Um, so integration into apparel should have a sleek form factor, not be alien for a person to wear. 
uh, like I said, our ultimate goal is that if you pick up your favorite T-shirt or your sock or whatever it is, it should be a smart garment. Um, and then uh, with that comes the whole textile uh, look and feel. So you know, being able to just chuck it in the wash and uh, you know, having it survive 50 wash cycles and dry cycles, and you know, having mm. that level of breathability. Uh, like for example, when you sweat, you really want that to be wicked out, uh, as opposed to being confined in um, you know a particular garment. So you know, all these unlocks have to be solved for um, from a emerging technology perspective, um, and from a established technology like the pneumatics. And uh, technologies such as that, it's really about miniaturization mm. and creating that softness and breathability of it. Um, um, so also having the ability to simulate and accurately model what parameters to tune in these technologies mm. to achieve the necessary spec would be an unlock that would span uh, the entire program for us. And these are the uh, things that we would like to look at solving and collaborating with uh, experts such as yourself, or the robotics community. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. So I would like to ask you, realistically now, what kind of product do you think ready to be in, in the market? If we speak about miniaturization of pneumatic, for instance, do you have any ideas what could be a ready product that could customers can use? Yeah, sure. So um, we've actually developed a product called Spring, uh, which is an active compression socks. Mm -hmm. So um, anyone who knows about active compression knows that typically um, these products are very big and rigid and bulky and are typically tethered into power sources. Um, and what we have, and if what we've actually done is we've drastically miniaturized it and reduced the electronic component of it. And you know we are able to uh, make these active compression socks portable and uh, battery operated. So you know, for example, someone who's suffering from um, like a venous uh, disorder mm -hmm. or like lymphedema or something like that can just uh, you know wrap these socks on their legs and you know they can go about their day without having to, uh, you know, be tethered to a power source during that therapy time. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, they actually have that, you know, it changes their behaviors and their lifestyle as well because now they're not um, rigid, but they're rather fluid now. You know, they can go and grab a cup of tea or something like that um, and get on with their life. Um, so, uh, it's actually launched. We uh, It's on our website if you want to check it out. Um, it's called Spring, mm -hmm. um, and we also had a Kickstarter campaign to get feedback from, uh, you know, end consumers. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and it's uh, Spring, spelled as S-P-R-Y-N-G, mm -hmm. if you want to check it out. Very cool. So, with the being said that you work in an interdisciplinary uh, field, uh, so how you could overcome the challenge of speaking a different language from material science as you expert in semiconductor, or control expert in electric engineering. How is communication going on in the, in the company? Make sure you understand each other. <laughs> That's actually a great question. Um, so like we said, you know, there's multiple different disciplines coming together. Um, and for a project perspective, you know, we need uh, that multicultural uh, diversity and uh, difference of opinions to come together because we don't think one subject matter can solve a thing. So from a 
speak about it from a project perspective. Um, uh, so it is actually challenging to bring these different people to a common uh, goal and ensure they all understand the big picture. Mm-hmm. So from a project perspective, it is critical to have an individual or individuals who are able to understand the breadth of subject matter and be able to zoom out and think strategically with the big picture in mind and then zoom in to articulate the project requirements that is understood to the relevant subject matter experts. Um, so, uh, you know, for example, if you have um, a, a, like a material science expert and you have a controls expert and you have uh, electronics engineer and a mechanical engineer, you know, you need one person that can span across all those different breadth of subject matter and be able to articulate the project, you know, understand the big picture and then articulate the project goals to each of those subject matter experts in the form and manner that they understand so that they can uh, you know, work uh, towards their tasks and work towards the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, I would like to ask you whether there's any competitor, because you work in South Asia as a company in South Asia. So, if we speak about the South Asia or internationally, is there any competitor? And if you could like to tell us what is the most uh, promising smart government tech in the industry you could highlight? Uh, sure. So actually, uh, a little competition is healthy for all of us, right? Uh, uh, you know, it doesn't make us complacent, and it always pushes us to move the needle further. Yeah. Um, we're always excited to see how um, you know other companies, other startups, other innovators, other individuals are looking to solve you know these grand challenges and uh, problems that. Uh, people face uh, and uh, you know we're always excited to see how they're doing it and uh, you know pushing that envelope a bit further and we're always you know we're rooting for them to uh, see how they can change the way we live learn and behave mm-hmm. um, and in terms of uh, promising smart garment techs um, I think from an actuation perspective in my opinion um, emerging technologies that are showing promise uh, would be uh, like electroactive polymer actuators, twisted string yarn actuators, um, and shape memory polymers and alloys. However, there are critical unlocks that need to happen if these technologies were to become mainstream in our domain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we've outlined them in our earlier discussion. So if anyone, just maybe because there are many students studying for robotics now and we'd like to launch a startup or a company, in, in this field. So what do you think the most important uh, elements or just uh, criteria to have a successful company in smart garment? What makes sure that if the company is successful or startup? Well, um, it's probably the same as what would make any garment or fashion brand uh, for that matter successful really. Mm-hmm. Uh, there has to be a real need for what you're building. Um, this is why it's very important that we understand what the customer wants uh, or needs. Sometimes they don't. Uh, th- sometimes those are two very different things. Um, once this problem is correctly identified, then uh, that basically half the battle won. Really, once that understanding is clear, then it's a matter of putting the right things together in the right way. Uh, it, it's a bit harder when you're talking about smart garments because the technology also has to be. Uh, has to be up uh, on par with uh, what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once you have that understanding of what needs to be done and one, 
once you have the understanding of what technology can do it um, then it things get uh, pretty easy from there really um, and it, but it's equally important that you have the right mechanisms in place to communicate effectively to the potential end user what the product or the technology will do um, uh, so just in short uh, business or consumer intelligence technology capability and market excel marketing excellence needs to work hand in hand for the success of a uh, smart government company is what we feel mhm so i would like to ask you how you would predict the growth of the company in the coming years it's like exponential or linear Uh, linear growth is product development for us. Uh, we are in the business of uh, big innovations, which is challenging, but should result in exponential growth. Mm-hmm. So, the next question I would like to ask about how you would see the integration of the technology developed with artificial intelligence, since everything now is, is running by artificial intelligence. So, in the coming year, I don't know how you see this integration, if you have like a smart wearable, how this integration would be, how you envision the product would be in this integration. For us, I, I think there's no question about it. Artificial intelligence can definitely help change uh, our lives, really. But uh, however, like with most new technologies, we need to understand exactly how AI can work for us. Mm-hmm. At, at, uh, when we're talking about smart garments, um, I don't think we are at that at that level yet because we're still, in our opinion, trying to put um, develop the smart garments to a form factor that um, that is acceptable by your end consumer. Um, once we have that kind of thing uh, ready and in the market and accepted by the masses, I say th- I feel then it's a matter of pushing the next um, the next thing in, which would be artificial intelligence. Um, at this moment, I feel artif- where artificial intelligence is concerned, um, what's required right now is just understanding how it would uh, work for smart garments and the role it has to play. But um, honestly, we see pre- tremendous potential in um, how it could impact people's lives in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also just to add to that, um, you know, MAS Holdings, uh, the core company, has over 100,000 employees. So one of the other aspects that we're looking at how artificial intelligence can impact is on the future of work. Um, how can we make artificial intelligence to make our organization smarter? And we're looking at it from a holistic approach to figuring out how we can apply AI to make the life of uh, not only the consumer better, but also the lives of our 100,000 employees uh, better as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, true. So I would like to ask you guys whether do you think that the technology will lead to social inequality? And we speak in general about robotics in that case, but if we speak about you targeting like the health sector and and of sport, and you're trying to do function like maybe a person that working like, for example, physiotherapy is working in this kind of is her job or her job in this area, and you're developing a smart government that can do this job. Do you think this is maybe 
lead to social inequality since some people is relying on this technology. Like uh, if we have to speak about people working in massage technology and you developing like uh, now we have the technology that can mimic this movement. So I don't know what you think about this case. Do you think this something could really like mix it blessing? But since we can many people lose their jobs who are really demanding in this uh, in this uh, kind of work they're doing. Yeah, that's actually a loaded question. Um, Hasindu and I had a lot of spirited debate with our mm -hmm. colleagues at Twinery on this. Um, and it's a tricky question that you can argue both ways. Um, so <clears throat> we had some interesting banter and actually one of our colleagues, Shaheen, has some interesting uh, insights on this matter. Um, so from a perspective of achieving um, true efficiency and operational stability. Um, you know, robotics or smart governments can solve for uh, a lot of mundane, uh, repetitive tasks, uh, mm -hmm. and outputs can be measured and improved upon a very continuous basis as opposed to, um, you know, having humans involved. Um, so in our industry, um, especially in uh, the textile manufacturing industry, absenteeism um, is a huge issue um, and it's an operational issue. So having um, robots who are able to, uh, you know, do these things, uh, you know, can uh, mitigate such operational issues. Mm -hmm. And then there's also uh, the fact of stereotypes, right? So there are certain stereotypes associated with jobs so, for instance, if you look at the subcontinent, you know, certain cleaning jobs or uh, driving jobs like Ubers or taxis yeah. are considered um, to be jobs for someone from a lower class, social class. Um, and using, you know, autonomous cars or, you know, AI and automation can, uh, you know, replace that uh, perspective of this whole lower social class. Uh, but it does leave room, for instance, uh, for, you know, workforce within these job roles to be replaced, right? So what are all these people who have these jobs going to do? Mm -hmm. um, uh, and that's a question that we all have in mind, but that also, I mean, as a, as a human race, we're always progressing and we always evolve. Um, so, uh, you know, there will be new opportunities and skill sets of the future that we will have to uh, work towards. Mm -hmm. um, but in and um, also, you know, there's a huge potential for private and public sectors uh, because there is a lack of skilled labor and gender-related pay structures. Lack of skilled talent uh, can all be addressed from, um, you know, saving uh, from utilizing robots. Um, so from a public sector perspective funding can be allocated to improve things such as access to better healthcare systems and deficiencies in the education system which over you know improves overall quality of life um, mm -hmm. so i mean in, to sum up robotics alone may not be able to address social inequalities but we would definitely facilitate a means of evenly distributed resources regardless of the social class mm -hmm. So let me ask you, do you think ego is important in that case if you develop technology and you come up with idea? Do you think this ego is 
uh, important or you have to listen to others because since it's very competitive and you have to take a decision. Mm-hmm. So for a researcher or anyone who innovates, it's about navigating the unknown and inspiring confidence uh, um, in something that doesn't exist as yet. Um, so I think a little bit of ego helps with staying competitive and pushing that boundary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I would like to ask you if you like a hypothetical case, if you receive a critical feedback from a customer, how you would like to react in that scenario? So I think uh, receiving critical feedback is something that we all kind of, in a sense, um, strive towards if if that's the right term because we are in the business of developing uh, new things, Mm -hmm. first to the world things. So it's not something that can be done in darkness. We really need um, that that valuable feedback to come in. So it's it's something uh, we view uh, that has quite a bit of value for us and uh, it's something that can really help us towards tuning products and technologies into being successful businesses at the end of the day. So um, critical feedback is something that is always welcome um, at Twinery and it's uh, I think we like to call it adjusting feedback, not so much critical mm-hmm. now, but um, yeah, it's something that we always approach positively and that it that is just a necessity really for us to um, uh, remain alive in this business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, just to add to what Pasindu was saying, for example, you know, the spring product that we spoke about earlier on, we actually launched it on Kickstarter um, and that was mainly to receive feedback from the end consumer on how we can improve the product or tune the uh, product according to what they are looking for. So, um, you know, as soon as we launched, um, yes, we got a lot of backing, but we also got a a whole load of comments and feedback from them uh, saying, you know, uh, they wish that uh, this pla- uh, the placement of this Velcro strap could, you know, achieve uh, a different functionality and uh, things like that. So we really took that and uh, we incorporated it into the product and we launched it and, you know, we're getting great reviews on it. Um, mm-hmm. Similarly, when we have early stage technologies, uh, it is important for us to show it to our B2B, which is our business-to-business partners, so that we can critically understand, you know, what they are looking to solve for, what applications they are looking to develop, so we can tune our early-stage technologies accordingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let me ask you how you would envision the relationship with the customer. For example, if you have the data of the customers, is it like the privacy of the customers, or they know why you collect this kind of data? Are you doing something similar to that? So we see all our customers um, as being businesses that are in the forefront of innovation in their respective industries. Um, So we do expect that those customers will um, adhere to certain um, norms and standards that that are specific to their industry as well as like you mentioned, things along the lines of data protection and privacy and uh, and things like that. If uh, it's that kind of product, um, we would ideally like to engage in code development. So we also have a have a say in how the um, product is used and what it is used for. 
um, and not just be the tech provider. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we envision all all our partnerships to be those that would be strategic to us. And on the other hand, um, partnerships such as once we have with researchers and academics um, are also very important to us where we would like to be the preferred um, go-to-market partner for, for those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if I ask like futuristic questions in 100 years coming, how you would envision uh, wearable technology, something like imagination from imagination, what could be the, the wearable technology that could do something you would imagine? Did you say 100 years? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so for me, it's part of your wardrobe. You know, having wearable technology is part of your wardrobe. So, I mean, in the, like you're seeing themes of space everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, there's space tourists and things like that. So yeah. imagine wearable technology playing a role in that you take your normal piece of clothing and it does, um, you know, an intelligent function for you. Um, it provides you compression. It, uh, uh, you know, uh, is like a bodysuit, for example, you know, yeah. like the Spider-Man suit that you, yeah, something that adapts to you, you, you know, you press a button uh, contoured to your body type. Um, mm-hmm. We really see wearable technology uh, as doing something beneficial and uh, really enhancing our everyday behavior. Mm-hmm. Cool. So let me ask you if you have any robots at your home or any kind of smart systems that you would like to share with our audience? Uh, yeah, so I have a Google Assistant at home, which mm-hmm. is very handy uh, when I cook. <laughs> uh, that's uh, We use it all the time, uh, switch off lights and things like that. And mm-hmm. then we also have a smart uh, vacuum, which is pretty handy. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can vacuum whilst I'm at work. Is there any robots you would like to have in the in your home, like something you wish to have? Any kind of robot you imagine? Yeah. Uh, if there is a robot that can, um, you know, do my laundry, can uh, do my cooking, uh, and, uh, you know, if that robot exists, I'd be glad to have it. You know, it would be my personal assistant. <laughs> okay. Yeah, probably the same really, but uh, uh, what's interesting right now for me are things like autonomous cars that could potentially become, uh, could potentially do a lot more than just driving you from one place to the other. It could uh, could be your personal messenger boy, if you will, or run errands for you, Mm -hmm. it could do do so much more than just drive you from point A to B and it could really help in making your life more productive. Yeah, it's about freeing up your time so that you can do something with that. I think yeah. is the key thing for all of us. Yeah. So I would, yeah. Sorry, no, I can't answer. But yeah, I I wish to have something like a suit that can a, a fly like Spider-Man. I think it would be nice. So something like that. Yeah, and something can do cooking for real. Yeah. Okay. So I like this cue. What do you feel most about the culture and vision about Winery Mets? Something you deeply cherish about the company, the vision and culture. 
for me, it's uh, it, I would say it's the diversity of the work yeah. and the people that I. Uh, it, that's what I value the most at Twinery. Everyone has a different educational background, are from different walks of life. Um, from different industries and they, they've all really come together with a wealth of varied experiences um, and it, what, what I find is that every conversation that I have at Pinery is one that you know really has you engaged and something that leaves you with some, at, at some kind of new knowledge and insight mm-hmm. um, that's something that I really value at, about working here mm-hmm. Someone would like now to join Twinery Mess Is it a PhD is a must or what kind of qualities is a company looking for people joining the company? So it really depends on what role you want to play. Um, for tech leadership, I would put more weight on industry experience, mm-hmm. in my opinion, and understanding the mechanics of how things work and challenges faced. Um, but if you want to become a domain expert and understand um, a th- you know, a subject matter really well, a PhD would be great to have. Um, however, I am biased in that I don't believe you need to have a PhD to be successful. Mm-hmm. It's about grasping the opportunities that are in front of you. Yeah, great. So I would like to ask you finally, because we're coming to the end, what kind of this advice was given to you both professionally or personally that you would like to share with uh, our audience? about collaboration um, uh, I think in today's context with technology developing so rapidly um, you know and knowledge that's so freely available uh, it's about like coming together and uh, really understanding um, what uh, opportunities you have in front of you and really grasping that and taking it forward um, so uh, being collaborative and sharing knowledge I think is one of the biggest things that can propel you um, Mm -hmm. in your career. Yeah, okay, great. So I would like to ask you in the end if you have any final words you would like to share for the soft robotics community or people listening to you, final words. Um, so we firmly believe that soft robotics and its underlying technologies are a huge unlock in developing meaningful solutions that would uh, make the lives of people better. So our closing remarks to the community would be to collaborate, to keep pushing the boundaries of technology. And, you know, Twinery will be there to make soft technologies as the future of apparel a reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so talk to us, connect to us, um, you know, uh, as Patinga mentioned, our website is twinery.co, um, you know, please connect to us um, and y'all can also email us at hello at twinery.com. Yeah, thanks so much. And at the end of the podcast, I would like to thank you on behalf of IEEE Rest Soft Robotics to see it. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank-